23, and it reads this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So as we um, approach Psalm chapter 23, this is our last sermon. We've been going basically through one verse per, one verse um, and one sermon. So there's been six sermons that we've gone over because there are six verses in Psalm chapter 23. I hope that you've been able to tune in um, at home. This is, like I said, this is the first time we're meeting in person. Um, but I hope that you've been able to tune in at home and participate. If you haven't and you want to catch up, all of our sermons are online. And you wanna, if you want to hear the previous ones, you're welcome to do that. Um, but just so exciting to be with you all live and up front. Um, we've really sincerely, genuinely missed you. Um, I know I have. Um, it's, it's odd to come to church and preach to nobody. Um, you know, I know there are other people kind of on the other end of that, but um, I, I'll have to exercise, I guess, like self-control and discipline because when I actually see faces, I tend to do what I'm doing right now, and I start talking to you, and I end up going longer than I, end, than I intended. And we're really trying to really kind of craft our services still for the people watching at home. So, so that's meant we've, we've done it. We're not here with each other as long as normal. We have shorter services and stuff. And even the order, you'll notice, is a little different than what we normally do. Um, we're doing that because we're trying to accommodate for the many people that are still choosing to watch at home. You know, so, but, um, hopefully it's not clumsy or um, disruptive to any of you. But um, you might have heard, um, like I had mentioned before um, earlier, the, the tragic murder of George, George Floyd this week. Um, and if you recall, it was just a few months ago that Ahmaud Armory was simply taking a regular jog and gunned down in the street um, because of uh, profiling. What a hard world that we live in. Um, when we're not killing each other, it seems as if some natural phenomenon is doing the job for us. Um, just this year alone, floods in Dubai, uh, brush fires in Australia, uh, a recent volcano eruption in Tal, um, and of course the coronavirus that is the sort of the one that's come to the forefront that is known a, a global pandemic for us um, and on such a scale that we have not known um, since the early 1900s. Um, I read an article this week titled, The World is Dying, um, because of all of these tragic natural phenomena that are happening all in the same year in 2020. And it's, and it's sort of sobering when we read the, the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 24. Do you remember these words? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are just the beginning of birth pains. They'll be handed over and persecuted, put to death, hated by all nations because of me. And many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive. It's hard not to see our moment in time not perfectly mirrored and reflected in the words of Christ. It's as if the Son of Man could return at any moment. Isn't that true? 
And what a good, <laughs> thank you, what a good thing that would be because all this madness would end. Even our, our picturesque, happy Psalm, tw- that, you see, that's what I miss when I, when I don't have you here. Um, so even our picturesque, happy-go-lucky Psalm 23 even says you're going to walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, right? Now that I've thoroughly bummed you all out on our first in-person return to church, I want to turn to Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, because it says this in the midst of this dark shadow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this man is not looking at coronavirus. He's not looking at tornadoes, and he's not looking at at volcanoes exploding. He is looking at the shepherd king standing beside him, bringing him through it to a better place. And that's his hope. Then that's your hope if you know Christ this morning. Our t- entire world right now is sharing the same valley of death. I've said that before. That the, the, the Bible so often says is going to be our experience. And that is that present enemy, right? In, in, in 23.5, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I don't want a table in front of my enemies. I want a table in front of my friends, but there they are. And we see this multifaceted darkness, the way that the Bible describes just the calamity of our experience in life, it's with one word, and that word is death. And the Greek word, the, the word for death is thanatos, and all of you, uh, what's it called, fans there? Uh, Marvel fans, Th- you remember the bad guy? Who was, what was his name? Thanos. Thanos, right? That's the word for, that's the Greek word for death. So, there you go. <laughs> and in that one word, there is, for in, in Scripture, that word death, it's sort of like the junk drawer word for every plague, every divorce, every miscarriage, every disease, everything that should not be in this world. The wages of sin is death. It is what the Bible describes as sort of the consequence of life outside of his goodness and favor, which is what is apparently in Psalm 23 chasing the sheep of the shepherd. It's life outside of the present goodness of God. It is to be chased not by a good shepherd, but by a pale horse. In Revelation, it says this, I looked, and therefore before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, Thanatos, and Hades was following closely behind. You see, friends, that's the problem that every single son or daughter of Adam faces that we all collectively are being hunted down by a pale horse, the curse of sin, which is death. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would all have been trampled down by it years, centuries, millennia ago. Because it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, the very fact that we're living and not immediately crushed under the hooves of the pale horse is because God is patient and kind, wishing us to be repentant so that we might have life. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, should God end all of the madness that we see around us at this moment, everyone that has not put personal faith in Christ would be trampled down by this pale horse and forever lost. And the fact that we even have the minds to object 
is an indication that God is gracious in giving us another moment to turn to him to accept his love and favor and forgiveness. So he refrains his return so that pale horse won't trample us down. And he bids you this moment to come to him in faith so that you can be by so that you can be hunted by someone else, followed, chased by another pursuer. So who's chasing you, friend? Death or life? The pale horse or the shepherd king? You see, friends, the Christian is the one who is saved not by works, not because we're good, not because we're better than other people, but because God has graciously chosen to forgive us through our repentant faith. And I hope this morning that you are followed not by that horse, but by Christ, the giver of life. Let me remind you, should you know Christ, despite the awful injustices around us in our world, and they are many, aren't they? They're varied. Despite the losses that you might have gone through in your life personally, that which hunts you in Christ is the goodness and love of God. You see, we pile up all the things that we've lost over here, and we conclude that God is not good and God does not love me. But there is this echo, this shadow over you, friend, whether you see it or not or feel it or not, that the goodness and love of God are following you, are bringing you somewhere. Every single day of my life, whether I see it or not, whether I feel it or not, whether I experience it or not, I am being chased by the goodness and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have two daughters. They're five and seven. Many of you know them. Every night, we, um, my, either my wife or myself or sometimes together, we bring them upstairs. Um, we read the Bible with them. We pray with them. Um, we sing a song to them. Sometimes they want two songs and then three songs. And then we say, that's enough. Um, and then we tuck them in, and then that's usually, can you snuggle with me? And sometimes we say yes. Sometimes, no, it's 930. You've got to go to bed now. But then we go through, so we go through this whole process with them. We give them a hug and a kiss. And, and we treasure those moments, too, by the way, because when they're 13, they're, they're going to not want to snuggle dad, right? So this is a rare treat for us. <laughs> so but we say goodnight to them, and then we head downstairs. Now, for a child, I don't know if you remember being a child, when mom and dad sort of like recede into the night, it can be a pretty intimidating experience, frightening. They feel alone, unprotected, and unsafe. But even though, if, you, if you're a parent or you've you know, been parented well, even though mom and dad aren't in the room, they're there still, aren't they? You see, we're downstairs talking, watching a TV show, whatever it is that we're doing, but we're there protecting them, even though it's in a different room. My wife and I don't go to Chili's after we put them to bed, <laughs> right? Like, we'd be in big trouble. So what, the, what children often don't understand is that we're still present, caring for them and protecting them. The goodness and love of mom and dad are following them, even though they might not feel it in that moment. And friend, can I encourage you with this? If you know Christ by grace through faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is following you with his goodness and love, whether you see it or feel it or not. It might feel dark, the lights might be off, and it might be real hard, and I sympathize with that, but friend, that does not mean he's not there. He might be downstairs, he might be upstairs, but he's got a monitor on. 
he hears everything that's going on in that room. And, and, and he knows and he loves you. There's a better father for you, friends, if you simply come to him or already know him by faith. We have a better mom and dad. So that the shepherd king is following us. He's our chief protector. What does he follow us with? Well, the, the, God's word says he follows us with his goodness. You know, the, the word follow here is more appropriately, appropriately translated chaste. And I like that word better because it's almost as if like something's running after us and he's not going to let us escape, right? And he chases us with his goodness. And goodness in scripture, what it means theologically and biblically, it's the rich blessings of God given to his children over every facet, uh, every kind of blessing, from children to love to marriage to his eternal home. Every good gift that God gives you is his goodness. And it's what he pours over his sheep. And the goodness that is specifically described in Psalm 23, we, we learn about it in the previous verse. God anoints our heads with oil. That is, we are his. We're under his care. We're his child. There's an anointing. He gives us a cup that overflows. In other words, we have everything that we need in him for a full and happy life. And he makes us to sit down in the presence, in his presence, and he honors us undeservedly. Right? He serves us a meal as a friend and as a child. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness that he pursues you with. The, 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 the Hebrew word for goodness is this word tov, T-O-V. <clears throat> David describes what the Hebrew tov, the Hebrew goodness, looks like in Psalm chapter 4, very specifically. It's not just stuff. It's not just meat, right, or potatoes. It's not having children or offspring. Many are saying, who will show us any good, any tov? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord, so that we have gladness in our hearts. That's the goodness of God. To be looked upon. The countenance of God looks upon you, and he doesn't laugh, and he doesn't wince. Ah, right? Who is this? He looks upon you kindly. His kindness, his countenance is one of light and pure joy on you. You see, that's what we need. You know, my little children, when, when I'm proud of them, for some reason, their, their whole face lights up. That, that's all, so, so often, that's all they care about. That dad's proud, mom and dad are proud of them. Well, friends, um, consider the better dad, the better father that looks at you like, the, and you know that you don't deserve it either. But he, stooks, he still looks at you with, a, with this countenance of love. The goodness of God is not simply new, wane or, or new, new grain or wine or earthly provision or prosperity, meat, whatever it is that you like. It's to, be looked at the Lord, looked, it's to be looked at by the Lord with favor. Lift up your eyes, of count, lift up your countenance upon us. Oh, friends, should the Lord ever look at us, what is it that we would deserve? Not to be forgiven, not to be hunted by goodness. We should expect a hungry lion, a pale horse, but instead we find a kind Savior shepherd that delights in forgiving us. It says this in Romans chapter 2, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Oh God, friend, is even good to those who do not yet know him or love him. The Bible says to be outside of Christ is to be at enmity with, 
with God, right? But there is a, is a kind of goodness that he still demonstrates to anyone because he gives them food and water. He's the, gi- he's the giver of all good gifts to all people, provision, love, children. And all of these things should be an indication to us that we are be- God is being good to us even though we do not deserve that goodness. That's why the scriptures say the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. We know we deserve not his goodness, but he gives it to us anyways. And most importantly, he does not pronounce on the lost what is immediately, what should be the immediate sentence of sin, which is once and for all final separation from God. He relents. He's patient. Because as we said before, not wishing any to repentance, but to turn to him for life. Friends, the goodness of God is present, even for those who don't know him yet. But for the Christian, it's a greater goodness. It's a megalon. It's a, that's the Greek word for great. It's a, I like that word. It reminds me of transformers. It's a megalon goodness, right? It's a greater goodness. It's a greater grace. The goodness of God for the Christian is even better because we are not only as Christians hunted by his goodness, that is his care and provision in life, but also by his mercy. Surely the goodness and mercy of God will follow me or love all the days of my life. And that is a unique gift given only to his, Christ, only to his children. You know, the word for mercy, many, transla- many, many translators, translators translate it love. It actually means his loyal or faithful love. And in Hebrew, it's the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it's probably the greatest word you'll ever, you'll ever hear in your whole life. Let me explain to you why, what this word means. In the Bible, the word hesed is used to describe God's covenantal commitment to love his people. And that's a big deal. And hopefully you'll see why in a second. It is his covenantal commitment to love and bless his people. In other words, to save them from what would be a natural separation from his love because of sin, because he's holy. Rather, he makes a covenant to save them so that, he, th- so that his children can be guaranteed, even if they fail, that he will love them and not reject them. When we say someone has been good to us, we might think that they've demonstrated some kindness. They were polite or gave us a gift. But the goodness coming from God is so much more than that. Because what we get is not simply a fat goose at Thanksgiving. It's not simply a big family. We get God. You see, we don't get his stuff We get him. That's what hesed means. That God promises by way of covenant to bring us to himself to love us. The word hesed means that God is obligated to save us, those who are his children by grace through repentant faith. Not to save everybody, but to save his children. God is obligated. You say, how is God obligated? God is not obligated to do anything for me. Um, No, but when he makes a promise with himself, he's obligated by his own nature to do what he said he's going to do. Does that make sense? 
This is a word of God's loyalty and commitment and speaks of his character because he doesn't change his mind and he doesn't lie. So when he decrees a covenant, there is an assurance that what he says he's going to do will, will happen. A covenant in scripture is like a divine contract. You make a contract between, between two people and if you break it, you're in trouble with the government. Well, a covenant, you make a contract before God and if you break it, you're in trouble with God. Does that make sense? That's what a covenant is in Scripture. Well, in Scripture, as f- concerning the salvation of humanity, God makes a covenant not with you, but with himself. And that means something so profound that if you break the terms of the covenant, he'll still save you because he made it with himself. Does that make sense? So Abraham, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant to save my people but you're going to go to sleep and I'm going to make the covenant while you're sleeping. And what does that mean? It means that Abraham, you're a doofus, you're going to mess up and that when you mess up, I will will pay the sacrifice for you. That's why he's sleeping and the spirit of God goes through the sacrifice by himself. Because he knows we're weak, we're human, we're sinners and if if, if it's up to us to save ourselves, we lose. He needs to save us. It's a divine contract that God makes with himself to save us. And so in this covenant, God makes a deal with himself. He takes the curse that we deserve for having broken his covenant. Jesus is that curse, the death, the offering that we deserve for our sin. He's the stipulation of the terms of the covenant of death for breaking that covenant of love with our creator. Because he takes the curse, because Jesus took the curse for us, that, death horse, that, de- that pale horse isn't chasing us anymore. But the shepherd king's goodness and mercy are. Isn't that great news? He takes the curse. He was chased by this horse. And we're chased by his love. His covenantal, obligatory, faithful, loyal love. Bound by his nature by his promise to chase us with so that we can never escape it or lose it. He made a promise with himself that those who he purchased with his own blood would indeed be purchased. So friends, to be in Christ means that you have a lifelong companion and it's the shepherd king and he follows you with his goodness and his love. Psalm chapter 17, it says this, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. Here we got this language of shadow again. In Psalm 23, the shadow of death. But in Psalm 17, the shadow of the wings of our good king and Lord. There are two shadows cast on the Christian life. And this is the hard reality of being a Christian. Okay, The shadow of death, but what accompanies that is the shadow of the wings of our Lord. And he wins. He wins the day. So that even in the greatest loss that we might suffer, we are chased by his goodness and his love, leading us, secondly, home. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The tov, the goodness, and hesed and love, so the goodness and love of God, that is the believer's escort. That, where are they chasing you to? Well, they're chasing you to the home of the Lord. 
I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's why the goodness and love of God are chasing you. That's where they're leading you. As a younger man, I found myself um, in a concert, at a concert in Fall River. Um, so this was, the, you know it was a good one, right? <laughs> Looking back at it now, I probably shouldn't have been there, but I was. So we're all just going to have to get over it. Um, I was sitting on a stool, um, listening to the music, and suddenly um, a fight breaks out right behind me, like right, right behind me, inches, okay? So I see, I see someone just haul off and punch this other guy right in the face, right behind me. That was clue number one, that I made a bad choice of where I was. So I quickly get up. Um, I'm like, I need to get out of here. But there's only one way for me to go, just because of the way the room was positioned, and it was through their melee. Right? I had to get up and sort of get in between this brawl if I, if I wanted to get out of there. So that's what I did. So I quickly got up, um, and now I'm blocking punches. Right? Um, security, like as fast as lightning, shows up because they see this happening, and they just assume that I'm involved. Right? They're not asking questions. They just see who's in the, the vicinity, and th they decide to, to come over, break this up. So this one big, big guy in a black T-shirt, literally lifts me up over his head with one arm, right? So now I'm in the air. And I was like, it wasn't me, I swear. My coat's in, like, the closet in another room with my keys. Like, I can't. So he, he, he's not listening. He's just carrying me with one arm. I was smaller at the time, but he was also big. So he's carrying me, leads me to the front door, literally throws me onto the sidewalk, and I tumble onto a rainy sidewalk because it was pouring rain that day. So this was my bad day in Fall River. Um, I got, like, scrapes all over my arm. It was a mess. That, es that guy escorted me out. <laughs> he was my escort. He determined where I was going, right? Even if I didn't like it, and even if I went kicking and screaming. He was bigger than me, okay? And his will that day won. Now, when he went back inside, I gave it five minutes. I squirreled back inside, grabbed my coat, and ran outside for dear life. And that was my story. But that man that day had a stronger will and a stronger and stronger muscles. So he won. He was my escort, and he led me to the door. Friends, this might be a bad illustration, but maybe it, is, it isn't. Because there is one that is stronger than you. There is one who has decreed that when you put faith in Jesus Christ, his love wins. And his love brings you home. His love carries you home. You know what John chapter 6 says? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is my responsibility in any of this? Nothing. Even the word draw means dragged, actually. Like I was dragged out of that concert that day. So when God, so the point is, God saves you, you don't save yourself. God resurrects you, we don't resurrect ourselves. If it weren't for God, none of us would have eternal life. If you, if you end up at the Father's feet, it is because Jesus brought you there. You didn't do it yourself. You see, friends, we dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of the goodness and mercy of another. He carries us home. John chapter 10, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
right? I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, and you can't wriggle yourself out of it either because his hand is clinched tight and his mercy and goodness chases you home. Home for the believer, what is home? It's the final presence of God. And you know, it's typified in the Old Testament by the tabernacle, and you'll see a picture of this on screen. I think, oh yeah, that's kind of small. Um, but this is the, the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle is sort of a, a visual aid to help us understand why God created us. You see that little inner tent there um, with that little gray box in the middle of it? Um, that's the presence of God. So for the Jewish person, they be- that God had told them, I will rest in this place, and you'll meet with me there. Okay. The entrance of the tabernacle, the temple, is on the east. You see that little red man up there? It's on the east. Outside of the temple is separation from God because of sin, right? Your journey, so your journey home to God, you travel westward, right, into the entrance. You see that entrance at the door. And friends, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ calls himself the entrance, the door, to the presence of the Father. Then you pass through the courtyard. You see that circle and square in the image. You pass through that courtyard. And that's sort of portraying the Christian's journey through life. They pass something called a laver, which is this giant tank of water. That is a symbol of the seas. Okay? It's an image of the sea. They also pass through something called a bronze altar, this high altar. And it's the image of the mountains. So in other words, Christian is journeying through life through the mountains and through the seas of life. And finally, you enter into that rectangular, smaller rectangular-looking thing right there, typifying death. You pass, you die. We die, all die. Okay? And then you enter into what is called the inner sanctuary, the holy place, and again symbolizing death. You pass something called a lampstand. You can kind of see it a little bit, that Jewish menorah on the bottom of that rectangle. You see it? You pass through a, le- a, a menorah, and that's sort of symbolizing the stars, the universe, okay? And then you pass through the altar of incense. Incense in scripture is like our prayers be going up through the heavenlies to, to reach the ears of the Father in heaven, you see? So now you're traveling, you're, you're traveling um, westward through life. You, pa- you die. Now you're, you're entering, you're approaching where you're supposed to go only to find a curtain blocking you from entrance, You see, there was a curtain, that line. You see, you're blocked off because we're sinners. See, the intention of God for us to live with him forever is blocked off. That was the symbol of the time. What do you do now? How do you get in there? Right? So you pass the mountain, the obstacles of life. You pass the seas that, that quake and swell, the difficulties and challenges of life. Then you die, continuing westward, um, and you, you enter into this sacred place of death, passing through, like, you know, um, sort of symbolically through the heavenlies, on your way to the presence of God, only to be blocked by this barring curtain. Barring the way from what's called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, where only the great high priest, or the high priest, could enter. The place we are all hoping to travel toward and find our final rest, the presence of God, only it's blocked. How do sinners find entrance? How are they found to be worthy enough to enter in to that most holy place? 
Well, the priest could only enter by a sacrifice of a bull or a goat or a lamb. But friends, can I introduce you to the better lamb, the greater lamb, the lamb Jesus Christ, who grants you entrance through that curtain because upon his death it was ripped in two. And there is no more block. By faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into our home, to the presence of God, you see? So the tabernacle is almost like a mini-universe, typifying our entrance into life in Christ, our journey through life with Christ, finally reaching our home with our Father in heaven. How can we be made to rest in this holy home and not be consumed by his presence? How is it that any of us can go through and not be cast out into what Jesus called the outer darkness and what John called the second death? This vision to be with God was the vision, is the vision of all the Old Testament. One thing it says in the Psalms, I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So the way that we apply this today is one thing we desire of the Lord is to be up, to walk through life with the shepherd king through the mountains and seas, the troubles of life, his goodness and mercy following us, finally escorting us home. Isn't that great news? Friend, can I ask what is chasing you this morning? What pursues you? Is it confusion? Is it uncertainty? Is it sorrow? Is it loss? Oh, I would like to introduce you to the Shepherd King who promises to take you through the mountains and seas, the deaths and miscarriages, the divorces and the diseases. Through life, through his inner sanctuary, to his presence by the blood of another and not yours, the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope that you find that good way home, and I hope that goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you would bless each person in this room each person listening online. Oh, God, that they would know you. That they would have ears to hear. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know Christ yet, that's listening online or even in this room, oh, friend, would you turn to Jesus, the door, the entrance? Would you be escorted, followed, chased by his goodness and mercy so that you can find rest in your eternal home with the Father in heaven forever and ever. God, that's why you made us. But we love the creation more than the creator. Oh, friend, turn to him now in repentance and faith. Be part of his sheepfold and know the assurance of his love and care. Cry out to him this moment, save me, God. Jesus died in my place so that he could then escort me to eternal life by means of his own blood. Friend, if you're crying out to God, you are now in the mighty hand of God and you cannot escape the chase of love. 
for the rest of us, God, that may know you by saving faith already, God, help us to remember that in the darkness, mom and dad are downstairs, and they're there, and we cannot escape your perfect mercy. Bless us now as we close our service in Jesus' name. Amen.